Amen. Stand with me for the reading of the Word. Isn't that a beautiful song? I'm so thankful for the multiplicity of talent God's given to our church. We have several worship leaders because there are several leaders that can lead worship. And I thank God for it. I expect the Word of God to change us today. I anticipate the Word of God strengthening you, speaking to you, penetrating into your problems, your sorrow, your depression, your doubt, your feeling of helplessness. The Bible says the Word is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit. It penetrates and it speaks to us. It's able to break through the darkness and the fog and bring light and bring hope and bring truth and renewal of mind. And I expect that to happen today. And so I want you to turn with me to Hebrews 10, verse 25. And I'm going to talk to you again about the word right behind me on this um, beautiful graphic they put up here. What is the word? Encouragement. Last week we learned how to encourage ourselves. How many of you had to encourage yourself this week? Amen. So did I. Now today I'm going to talk to you about how to encourage one another, which is one of the great purposes of church. Hebrews 10:25, and I'm reading out of the New King James Bible. And let's read it out loud together since it's only one verse. Are you ready? And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What are we to do? I like what somebody said, one preacher said, we need to learn to one another one another. That's kind of a funny way of saying we need to learn how to minister to each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God today, that it is powerful. It has the ability to change us and to really put us on the right track. And I pray that today it will happen I need your anointing, Lord. I need your touch. Who is sufficient for these things? I'm not. But in you I am. And I pray that, Lord, now the Word of God will be given divine wings and it will fly into our hearts, into our souls, into our lives and minister to every individual here and those watching by streaming and those that listen by radio throughout the country. Lord, I thank you that your word never returns void. But it does what it's sent forth to accomplish. Now, Lord, today, I pray that it will do so. Church, pray with me and say, Lord, I receive your word. Change me today in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God heard that prayer. God heard that prayer. Amen. Now, uh, I want to just pluck one word out of the verse we read, and that's the word encourage. If you have a King James Bible, it uses the word exhort instead. But be, since we all know the word encourage more than exhort, I'm just going to use encourage uh, for the rest of the message. Now, encourage comes from a Greek word. Of course, all the New Testament comes from a Greek word, a little smattering of Latin. But um, it comes from a Greek word, and it's what you call a compound word. And I'm just going to tell you the Greek word so you can go out of here and tell somebody you learned Greek in church. But here it is, because it's important we get this. The word encourage is the Greek word 
parakaleo. It's a compound word. Parakaleo. Para, the prefix, kaleo, the suffix. Here's what they mean. Para means to come alongside, to come alongside, to summon, to entreat, to admonish, and to comfort, para, and to come alongside. Now, Jesus in John 14 talked about the coming Holy Spirit, and he called the Holy Spirit the comforter. And when he used the word comforter, the Greek word he used was in the same family, not parakaleo, but parakletos, but it's the same family of word, parakletos. Now, para, again, means to come alongside. Parakletos, the word itself, an advocate, comforter, helper, intercessor, or consoler. Para means to come alongside. Kletos means to call out to somebody, to invite somebody. And so when the Word tells us Jesus calls the Comforter parakletos, he's, he's saying the Holy Ghost is going to call your name. The Holy Ghost is going to call your name, and then para, he's going to come alongside you. Now, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He said, so, so parakaleo and parakletos mean essentially the same thing. <clears throat> Your name is called. Somebody calls you, summons you, invites you to either come alongside them or they saunter up to you and get right alongside you and call you by your name. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. See, when you got saved, Jesus called your name. He didn't say, hey, you. He said, hey, Jeff, Sue, Bob, Jane, Jim. It says, he knows us by name. And he called us. And when he called us, he said, I'm calling you because I want to come up alongside you. I want to get in your mess and help you through it. I want to get into your life and walk through it with you. I, I love you. So, so that's the idea. Now, now get this now. Since that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, one of the ministries already the Holy Ghost has eased up to, to you in this service and has more than likely encouraged you. That's what encouragement is all about. The encourager says, hey, Jim, can I come and stand alongside you and help you walk through this? That's the idea. The Holy Spirit does that. That's what he does. And how many of you can say, this week, the Holy Spirit has encouraged me? Amen? You, you did something. You, you were in some perplexity. You were feeling heavy about something. You were experiencing doubt, or you were in some kind of a trial, and all of a sudden, whew, you are not alone. And the Holy Spirit came up alongside you, called your name, said, I'm going to walk through this with you. Now, since that's His ministry, the Comforter, we, as the church, are called to partake of the same thing with him because he's living inside of us. And you know what? Since he's living inside of us, he's always wanting to do through us what he does anyway. 
What does he do anyway? All day, every day, he's encouraging people. But when he's inside of you, he's going to be wanting to manifest through you, to reach out to others through you, and do what he does anyway through you. So we're all called to encourage one another. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially as you see the day approaching. Everybody in here is anointed of God to call out to people by name and come alongside them and say, you know what, you're not going to walk through this alone. Bear ye one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ, says Galatians. The Bible says, for instance, that one of the purposes of New Testament prophesying is to encourage. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 says, He that prophesies speaks edification and encouragement and comfort to men. When God speaks through somebody, it may be corrective, but it's always going to be encouraging as well. He's going to encourage you. The Apostle Paul gave instruction to the local church leadership regarding how they were to conduct meetings. And he said, until I come, give attention to reading, to encouragement, and to doctrine. means when you come together, read the Bible out loud like we just did, and encourage one another, and then teach what the Bible says. So one of the purposes of local church is that we would sharpen one another and encourage one another. We're not called to meet together to gossip and slander and tell somebody else's business or look at somebody's new dress or new suit. We are called together regularly that we might encourage one another, sharpen one another. That's one of the reasons for local church. That's why when people tell me, oh, I go to church on television. No, you don't because that person on the screen doesn't know your name. They can't come up to you side by side and say, let me encourage you. Now, if you can't make it to church, that's the next best thing. But God wants you to encounter people with skin on them. Amen? So a personal visit from Paul. You can read the Bible always. A personal visit when Paul came, he would always encourage you. Acts 11.23, when he, Paul, came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted or encourage them, and look what he encouraged them, that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Sometimes all we need is for somebody to say, come on, get up. Continue on with God. Don't put up the white flag. Don't quit. Don't give in. But get up. Come on. That's one of the purposes of church. The other disciples were exactly the same way. Acts 15, 32 And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, encouraged the brethren with many words. They they, they were very verbose in their encouraging of people and confirmed them. Paul's sometimes traveling companion, Barnabas, was known as the son of encouragement. I'll tell you, you could do worse than that. Who are you? I'm the son of encouragement. (laughs) I'm the son of encouragement. So that when they see you coming... They don't say, oh, me. They say, amen, because they know you're going to encourage them. You know, some people, you're, you're thrilled to see them walk through the door, and other people, you want to see, see the door. You never feel that way about an encourager. 
Encouragement puts the winds and the sails of the discouraged and propels them forward. The, the healing balm of encouragement is God's antidote to paralyzing discouragement. What is discouragement? It's courage that was dissed. You used to have courage, but something happened. Now you're discouraged. But encouragement gets the diss out of your courage. I just made that up on the spot. All right? One of the Old Testament descriptions of encouragement paints a beautiful picture. Listen to this. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Can you just picture golden apples in a silver frame, and that's what encouragement looks like to the receiver. Beautiful. I love this one, Proverbs 15, 23. Everybody enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. The right word at the right time is the word of encouragement. You can't go wrong with encouragement. I'm going to tell you, honestly, before God, I owe a lot of my ministry to two people that God put in my life when I was 18 years old. And they became huge encouragers to me. And, and told me constantly, Jeff, God's got a call on your life. God's going to use you. And I couldn't believe that. But I thought so little of me. And, and I couldn't believe it. But here's these two major encouragers. And to this day, we just spent some time with them. They're in their 90s now. And we just spent some time with them. What did they do? God's going to use you, Jeff. God's got his hand on your life. Get ready for expansion, said the woman. And, and they've been that way for 40 years in my life. Encouragers, encouragers. The Bible says careless words stab like a sword, but the words of wise people bring healing. And encouraging words are always healing words. You know, one thing I've learned through the years, seriously, is the incredible power of words. I think most people don't realize that you have a major weapon in between your two sets of teeth. You, you, it can either be a blessing or a cursing. It can ruin a life or make a life. I have seen through the years, one stabbing, critical, careless word can literally turn a person's life in the wrong direction. You stupid. You're stupid. You don't have, God help people like, God helps people like you. You're so dumb. You don't have any talent. You're a waste of time. And something in them collapses the power of words conversely one uplifting encouraging word can turn a person's life in a positive constructive direction just one word one word of encouragement at the fork of a road in their life can cause them to go the right direction i'm serious some destructive words are like hammers that instantly shatter a person's self-esteem and self-worth. Other destructive words I have observed go down into a person's soul and they accumulate and they, they manifest later down the road. And when they manifest, that spouse walks out. A child runs away. A friend disappears. And the person that's been speaking the negative words, it, it gets out of their lazy boy and says, what, how in the world did this happen? Well, turn off ESPN and think about it. What happened is their love slowly died. 
Joy was extinguished and loyalty dissolved away in the toxic acid of destructive, critical words. We don't understand the power of words. I was visiting a couple one night in their apartment uh, many, many, many years ago, and, and uh, they had just gotten married, and I had known them for years, and, and, and a beautiful girl, a guy that actually went back into my days in drugs, and he had gotten saved. But right in front of me, he criticized her. He, he, he made a joke at her expense that was that was rough. And as young as I was in God, I had a word of wisdom on the spot. His marriage is doomed. I said, why, Lord, is his marriage doomed? Because he said what he said in front of you, and that is a harbinger of things to come if he doesn't get a hold of his words. See, you can't criticize people in your house ad infinitum without one day the whole thing rattling, shaking, and collapsing. Now, let me tell the opposite, because the opposite is very good news. You show me a happy marriage, or you show me a long-term fulfilling friendship, or you show me a good child-parent relationship, and I'll guarantee you that, that part of that relationship has been positive, uplifting words. Encouragement is the sunshine that makes a soul bloom like a spring rose. Now, sometimes, I know what you're thinking. You say, well, Jeff, sometimes we do need to say something corrective. You do. But you're never to say something corrective in a condemning, contemptuous, castigating, demeaning manner. Because that's not what Jesus does to you. How did Jesus talk to you last time you failed? Did he come up to you and say, well, you stupid idiot. I, I should have known. Isn't this always the story with you? You just can't get it right, can you? I'm wasting my grace and time on you. Did he say anything like that? No, he said, repent, I'll forgive you. I'll stand you back on your feet. I love you. My love hasn't diminished. I'm for you. Come on, get up. I'm behind you. It hasn't changed my love for you one bit. Isn't that what he says? Come on. Well, we need to realize the power of the tongue. People can tame all kinds of animals, James said. You can tame birds, reptiles. I don't know how you tra- tame a fish, but that's what he says. You can tame fish. I didn't know that. Come here, come here, Goldie. I didn't know you could do that. But he said it. Now, that's just free. I'm just tossing that out. People can tame all kinds of animals. Well, you can tame orca, can't you? Dolphins. So he's right. The Word of God's right. All right. (laughs) I just had a revelation on the spot. Now, but no one can tame the tongue. You can't tame your tongue. The Holy Ghost can tame it, but you can't. It is restless and evil, and oh, it's full of deadly poison, your tongue. He says, with it we praise our Lord and Father, and then we turn right around and curse those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Now, God desires all of his children to be really good at encouraging. And I'm sharing this message in hopes that you don't just walk out and say, well, that was a good word. He sweated a lot. That was a good word. Good word, Pastor Jeff. But James says, if you go out and forget it, you've deceived yourself. 
We need to hear this and let it change us. Now, there's three powerful facts or truths on the power and need for encouragement. And let me just share them with you quickly. One, encouragement helps keep the believer from drifting from God. Hebrews 3, 12 to 13, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But look at the antidote, but encourage one another annually. Oh, I'm sorry, I read it wrong. What does it say? How often? Some of you think I'm supposed to do this Christmas and Easter. Like the guy that comes up every year and pats me on the back and says, you bless me every Easter, Pastor. And then I never see him again for another year. Well, I didn't bless him too much or he'd be back the next Sunday, right? Now watch. He says, encourage one another daily while it is called today. That means during the age of grace, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now notice that he says we should be encouraging one another not weekly, not monthly, not sometimes, but all the time, daily. Who would you encourage last week? Who would you encourage last week? Come on, get up. You can do it. Let's go on in God. Come on. I called to encourage you. Came over to encourage you. Walked up to you to encourage you. Now why does he say we need to do this? He tells us clearly, lest any of you depart from the living God. And then he tells us how this drifting can happen. Here's how it happens. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Wow. Everybody in this room is in a battle with sin. Oh, yes, we're redeemed. Yes, we have the Holy Ghost, but we've still got flesh. And every one of us this week battled against some kind of temptation to sin. If you're exempt from that last week, I want to meet you. I want you to lay hands on me. Now watch this. Sin, he's telling us, is always deceitful. Sin is always deceitful. That's how sin wins so often because it's deceitful. I don't care how good it looks, how promising it appears, how justified it may seem. Sin always leaves you weeping in ashes of regret always. Now, let me give you a newsflash. At the moment of temptation, the devil never shows his hand. He's, he holds his cards close to his demonic chest. He never tells you about the end of what he's presenting to you. The end results, the end consequences, he never tells you. He never, he'll never do that. He never reveals consequences. He only reveals false benefits. That's it. He never reveals the consequences. If he did, nobody would do it. His expertise is in getting you to focus on the immediate gratification of his proposition and disguising the whole time the long-term consequences of his offer. He's never going to let you see the tears, the regret, the wreckage, the ruin. He's never going to show you that. He's only going to show you what's up front. Hey, if you'll do this, I promise you, you'll be fulfilled You'll be happy. You will have found your niche in life. You're going to benefit somehow, some way from it. And it's always a lie. There's never a sin that there's not a promise attached to it. And the promise is a lie. Because sin always promises 
what it cannot perform. It assures you a pleasure that it never imparts. It leads you further than you ever intended to go. You thought you would go from A to B, and suddenly you find yourself at Z, and you wake up one day, and you say, how did I get here? Because that's sin. Sin always takes you further than you wanted to go, than you ever thought you would go, than you ever thought you could go. The person who commits sin is always under the delusion they're going to benefit in a positive way, but it's all a lie, which is why the Bible calls it the deceitfulness of sin. Now, he says, encouraging one another helps battle and the believer to win over the deceitfulness of sin. It always is a lie. Listen, no drug addict ever saw their days lived out in misery and enslavement when they first ate of that forbidden fruit. If they could have seen where they were going to wind up in five years, 10 years, one year, they would have put that stuff down and fled. But the devil didn't show them that. The devil just said, do it and you're going to have some fun. No alcoholic foresaw the day when they would lose their job, lose their career, their dream, their family, all their self-respect when they first put the cursed bottle to their lips. devil doesn't show you that. He says, go out and have a good time. Go to the bar. Have a good time. He doesn't show you wrecking, getting a DUI. He doesn't show you taking somebody's life or reaching a point in your own life where you can't live without the sauce. He doesn't show you that. No young person ever imagined when they first began hanging around with the wrong crowd that they would one day be looking through prison bars at a ruined life. Oh, no, no. The devil just says, go on with them. They're not so uptight. They're not like church people. They have fun. And you hook up with the wrong crowd. Sin is always built on a lie. And if you indulge it, it's going to lead you down step by step, incrementally over time until the Bible says your heart becomes entirely hardened. And that word hardened is from a word that means resistant to God's voice. It begins when you first go off into sin, you hear God, hey, what are you doing? A year later, hey, what are you doing? Two years later, hey, what are you doing? Five years later, huh? I don't hear you anymore. My conscience is seared. My heart is hard. Now, the Bible says encouragement among the saints keeps you from drifting like that. Wow. Everybody say encourage one another. Daily. Close friends should encourage one another. Parents should encourage their children. Church leadership should encourage those under their care. Spouses should encourage one another. The older should encourage the younger. And church members should regularly gather together like this, not to look at somebody's new dress or new suit or to gossip or to slander or to talk about somebody else's business, but to encourage one another to keep walking in Christ. That's what church is all about. So first, encouragement keeps the believer from drifting into the deception of sin. Second, encouragement will keep the faint-hearted from quitting. Some of you walked in here today, you've got a white flag in your back pocket. And you're thinking, any time now, 
it's coming out, and I'm putting it up, and I'm done. Because I'm beat down, beat up. I am so tired of trying and failing and, and, and thinking this is going to happen, and then that happens instead, and my hopes being dashed, and I just don't know where God is, and I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what to do. Get to church where they encourage one another. Get to church where they encourage one another. That's what local church is for. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brothers and sisters, encourage the disheartened, which is the same as faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Let me tell you about disheartened. It means small of soul. It refers to an undeveloped soul, somebody lacking a healthy identity. They're undeveloped in their character, which was Jeff Wickwire when I first came to Christ, and that's what that couple encouraged me out of. This is the timid, fearful person, the easily overwhelmed, the easily overburdened type personality that just has trouble doing life, or the person that's crushed with discouragement. They're just crushed because of things that have happened in their life. And it says, encourage them. That's the serum. That's the antidote. That's the God pill. Encourage them. Encourage the ones who feel like they can't keep going on. They're in this room. They're in this room. You dragged a church today, and you used to skip to church. If nobody could bring you, you walked. You were there every time the door was open, but that zeal and zest is gone. This year, this week, I got two calls, and both of them were, one of them was a semi-911, and one was a 911. The first one, I talked to a man who, I'm just going to tell you, when we were 14, 15 years old, we were in drugs together. I got saved first. I used to witness to him. He'd run from me in junior college. He'd see me coming and he'd run. He admits it. He knew I was going to hit him with the gospel. And so he'd run. But he got saved. He was a pastor for 25 years. But then he had a breakdown. His wife left him. He lost his church. He's lost his health. He has just learned that he's going to have to be on dialysis or get a kidney transplant. He is beat down. He, he, said, he said to me, Jeff, he said, uh, b- the, the night before you called, I was in bed, and all I could do in bed was say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's all I could say. Well, I came and got him, drove to Dallas and got him, took him to a coffee shop where all good encouragement happens. There's an anointing on those places. And I just sat there with him for about an hour and a half. Then I took him out, got him some groceries, took him home, and, and, and I encouraged him. I said, hey, here's what I told him. I said, God's not done with you yet, and tears filled his eyes. I said, God, I, I, said, I know God's not done with you yet. And he began to weep. It, it, the tears streamed down his face. I said, God's not. The devil was telling him, you're finished. You're all washed up. There's nothing left. But it was a lie from the devil. And I said, God's not done with you yet. And, and that's all that it took. <clears throat> and then I got a call. And it was this. And no, none of these people go here. Neither of these two people go here. They don't. But I got a call. So-and-so wants to see you. She's been put in a mental hospital. She wants to see you. I was stunned because this is a beautiful, winning, winsome, um, natural leader, teenage girl. Beautiful girl. 
full of potential. Will you come see me? Been a Christian as long as I've known her. So I went, walked in, sat down. First thing out of her mouth, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm done. I see no reason. I want to go. And you know what I did? I pulled the Bible out of my pocket, my sword, and I began to minister the Word of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God's not finished with you. Just because you're down, you're not out. You're not going down. You're going through. You're going to come out of this on the other side, and you're going to strengthen people when you get there. Don't you dare give up. Don't you put up the white flag. Don't you walk away. Don't you give up on God because God hadn't given up on you. And I stayed there for an hour and 15 minutes. And by the time we were done, she was smiling, gave me a big hug. And I have all the hope in the world that it's going to change. But she got so far down, she wanted to check out. And so you don't sit there and say to somebody like that, well, you're a Christian. What are you doing with these kinds of thoughts? Boy, people like that make me nuts. Like, like Christians are supposed to be in some kind of a bubble where nothing happens to them. Hey, Christians hurt. Christians fail. Christians get wounded. Christians need help. The Bible says, cheer them up by using comforting, soothing, encouraging words. One man wrote, flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. But encourage me, and I will not forget you. One of the best examples I know, the power of encouragement to pick a person up and put them back on their feet, took place on New Year's Day in 1929. Listen to this. When Georgia Tech and the University of California played in the annual Rose Bowl football game. Some of you didn't know the Rose Bowl was that old. I said 1929, not 1992. And in that game, a man named Roy Regals, the center for the California football team, recovered a fumble. And in all the excitement and pressure, he got hit. He got disoriented. And Regals became confused and began running the wrong way. One of his teammates saw what was happening and ran with all of his might and tried to tackle him. On his side, his team was saying, stop, stop. And he thought they were saying, all right, you gathered the fumble. The other side, that team wasn't saying anything. Glory to God, don't say nothing. He's running towards our goal. He ran past the 50, past the 40, past the 30, past the 20, past the 10. And on the two-yard line, his teammate finally caught him and tackled him. That was during the first half. Everybody was wondering what Coach Nibs Price would do with Roy Regals in the second half. During the halftime break, Regals sat alone in a corner in the locker room wrapped a blanket around his shoulders, put his hands in his face, and he cried like a baby. Three minutes before the start of the second half, Coach Price looked at the team and said something that startled them all. Men, the same team that played the first half will start the second. Regals didn't move. The coach called him and said, Roy, come on. He didn't move. Coach Price went over to where Regal sat and said, Roy, didn't you hear me? The same team that played the first half will start the second. And Regal said, Coach, 
I can't do it to save my life. I've ruined you. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. I couldn't face that crowd in the stadium to save my life. Then Coach Price, clearly being a wise man, reached out and put his hand on Regal's shoulder and said, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half over. Oh, I like that. That moves on me. Because these, some of you have been going the wrong way. And you feel like I've ruined my life. I can't face people again. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've ruined everything by going the wrong way. But listen, Jesus is standing there saying, get back up. He's calling you by name and saying, get back up. Get on your feet. It's only halfway through the game. Get back up. You've still got some plays to make. You've still got some balls to carry. Get back up. Get back up. Come on. That's true. And if you think that's not Jesus, you don't know my Jesus because he said to Simon Peter, you denied me, you walked away from me, you said you never knew me, you did it with cursing, but Peter, I'm here to tell you to get back up. You're going to preach on the day of Pentecost and you're still my man. Come on, everybody. You haven't failed so bad they call you wrong way, Roy. <laughs> Which they did. Here comes old wrong way. Or another way they put it, Roy, wrong way. You know what he did? He went out and played one of the best second halves in college football. And for the rest of his life, Regal would attribute those encouraging words as being the words that turned a tragedy into a triumph. Encouragement will keep you from drifting. It'll strengthen the faint-hearted. And then one last thing quickly. Encouragement helps a person to see God in tough times. See, that, that's really all you need when you're going through a tough time. You need to see God. You need to see God in it. Here's a perfect example of the Bible doing this. James 1, 2 to 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. How often do we do that? Man, I am in hell, but I consider it great joy. Oh, what an opportunity to have joy. No, you're in the prayer line. Pray for me before I go down and don't come back up. Now listen, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Here's what he's saying. Don't worry, be happy. God's at work even in your discouragement and pain. He's got this, he's got you, and he's going to work this out for your good. Chin up. When this is all over, you're going to be a fully developed saint of God looking more like Jesus than you ever have. You can't lose when the greatest winner of all time lives inside of you. You can't. Can we stand together today? And let's just rehearse these together. Are you ready? Encouragement. Say it with me. Encouragement, Encouragement. helps keep others from drifting, strengthens the faint-hearted, and helps the discouraged to see God in their trouble. 
Now, I'm going to do something interactive in church today. I'm not going to ask you to bow in prayer first because those who slip out and walk out when everybody's praying, I'm not going to give the slipper out or as a chance to slip out. <laughs> I, I want you to do something before we pray, okay? I, I, I don't want anybody to leave today until you've encouraged someone because I want you to see what church is supposed to be. So I'm going to ask you to do this. As soon as I'm done telling you what to say, I want you to turn to the person. And, and if you want to tell your spouse, that's great, but tell the person on your right or your left as well. But here's what I want you to say. Whatever you're going through, he's got it. And you're going to make it to the other side. And when you do, you're going to have a testimony that's going to help others. Now, you say, well, that's too long. All right, let's just make it simple. Turn and tell somebody, you're going to get through this with a testimony. All right, try that. Ready? One, two, three. Tell them. Encourage them. <clears throat> you're going to get through this with a testimony. I just told him. You're going to get through this with a testimony. Amen. Now tell the truth. How many of you like saying it and you liked hearing it? Amen. So I want you to remember the word of the Lord when you leave and say, well, that was a great message, but you know what? I'm going to apply it. I'm going to put it in my back pocket, and I'm going to use it tomorrow. Go home and encourage somebody. It's the best way to come out of depression. Pull out of yourself and go encourage somebody. Father, I thank you today for the word of encouragement, the ministry of encouragement. And I pray that our church becomes one of the greatest encouraging churches in the United States of America, a truly encouraging church where we sharpen one another in God. Thank you for your hand upon us. Now, if you're grateful for the Lord's hand, lift up your hand and say, Lord, thank you. I received this word today. It's going to change me from now on. It's going to change me from now on. I'm not going to be a discourager. I'm going to be an encourager. In Jesus' name, give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Amen.